Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Concussions, we hear a lot about it. We know it's not a good idea to have a lot of them, but what are some of the activities that could make these more likely and who's at the greatest risk? Well, today we're going to be talking about that. I have Ross Oshiro here in the studio with me. He's an athletic trainer and he is at the Queen Sports Medicine Department. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the definition of a concussion and who's most likely to get them. And more importantly, why is this now a serious medical problem? As you hear in the news that we're finding repetitive concussions and repetitive head trauma could potentially be problematic. Uh, Thank you for joining me today, Ross. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Now, how would you define a concussion? A concussion is a blow to any part of the body, not necessarily the head, that jars the brain and um, usually causes some cognitive dysfunction or visual dysfunction. So it's some kind of a jolt, but it doesn't necessarily require that you lose consciousness. I mean, I think a lot of people thought, oh, I can't get a concussion if I don't, quote, black out. Not true? Not true. Only about 5 to 10% of uh, loss of consciousness ever occurs in all these concussions. And in my 30-plus years as an athletic trainer, I've only had two cases of loss of consciousness. So the majority are just these jolts to the head. So what sort of sports might make someone most likely, and I don't mean to say it as if we're penalizing sports, but what sort of sporting activities might make someone most likely to have this happen? Uh, In our Hawaii high schools, uh, football has the most concussions. Uh, It makes sense. There are the most athletes that participate on each team. But what's kind of surprising to a lot of people is girls' judo has the highest incidence of concussions. So incidence per number of judo participants. Participants And and because there's so many football students or football players, they may have the highest total number but their total grand percent or incidence per student is actually lower. Correct. Yeah. Now, I know nothing about martial arts. How do you hurt yourself in judo? A lot of it is being thrown. So when they get thrown and land on the back, they can hit the back of their head. Uh, they don't know how to properly land, and which causes a lot of the problems. This would be why I would never be sporty enough to play, to to participate in judo. So you don't even have to have fallen on your head. You could fall on your back and have that head jolt that could actually cause the symptoms of a concussion. Correct. Or you could land on your butt and that force get transmitted right up to your, your brain. You don't even have to hit your head. Yeah. All right. Well, I know I'd be horrible at judo, but I know I'd also be horrible at football. So what would be the maneuvers? I mean, there's obviously the, hey, you get tackled thing that a lot of people think of. But what sort of jolts would you see in football that could also put people at risk? Um, A receiver going up for a catch uh, off his feet gets hit by the linebacker or a defensive back and kind of whiplash action. Um, That's another way that can happen. Of course, landing on your head. Uh, using your head as the weapon, uh, which we're trying to prevent a lot of with the officials uh, flagging those calls. Now, you wear helmets, so how does it still happen? Isn't it true that helmets protect against all concussions? We wish. uh, No, it's not true. Helmets prevent a skull fracture. That's their main purpose is preventing a skull fracture. The brain is encased within the the skull, and it's surrounded by a fluid that floats around. So we describe it as a jello, a bowl of jello, and your your skull is the bowl and your brain is the jello. If you wiggle it around, your brain shakes. 
so same idea with the bowl of jello. Your brain shakes, your your jello shakes, your brain shakes within the brain, uh, the skull. Um, so okay, now I'm freakishly craving jello, but <laughs> but it's a really good analogy because you can picture the bowl, you can picture the jello, and maybe you know fruit in there, and and the fruit is still moving even with the jello moving. So there's still some potential interaction that could that could cause troubles and symptoms. Correct. Correct. Now, those symptoms that we're talking about with that kind of a jolt, you mentioned a whole bunch of different positions. And again, naively, I, I can picture like those highlights on the sports reels for the news, but I don't know where these particular positions are. So there are certain positions where you're more likely in football to have this potential injury, but not every position would put you at risk or pretty much if you're on a football field, you're at risk. Um, it does. It doesn't necessarily matter what position you play. Um, there's always a potential of a concussion. Um, the game is changing, and they're trying to make it safer for all all participants. But uh, there's a potential for anybody getting hurt on the field. I would definitely be one of those. Okay, so we're trying to modify some of the ways people tackle or the ways that people participate in the sports. And the helmets you mentioned do prevent skull fracture, but they can't prevent concussion. So if you happen to be the athletic trainer and you're at a game and you see something happen on the field, what are your signs of, I should go take care of that? I need to intervene because you mentioned five only five ten percent is loss of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So there must be something else going on that would indicate to you trouble. I've got to intervene. Uh, one is the mechanism of the injury. So watching the play is always is important. Trying to be in line with wherever the ball is. Um, the other piece, if you're not able to see the actual injury, is how they get up. Um, are they slow to get up? Um, are they de- uh, shaking when they get up, moving side to side? Um, the other piece is, um, is, is a lot from how they react on the next play. So you really are watching them physically yeah. when they have this play, this potential injury, how they can recover. Can they get up? Can they move around? Do they seem okay, alert oriented, yeah. moving all their limbs appropriately? All right. Now, we also have on the line Emily Kozderka. She is the Assistant Professor of Exercise and Sports Science at Concordia University in Portland, Oregon. And she's on the line to join us today because at, towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about a conference coming up that is really helping to bring about more education and information about concussions, the identification of these and how to treat them. So she's on the line to share us a little bit more about some of her research. She's looking at the role of the recovery after concussion. Emily, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, we were just talking about different sports that might potentially increase the risk, so women in judo and then also football players as the different various positions and pretty much every position being at risk for having concussions. And, you know, Ross was mentioning that he will often be right there on the field, watching where the ball is, seeing where the players are, monitoring them. And if there is something that looks like a potential injury, looking at the recovery of the players. What is the idea of your research? How can what you're doing help us to understand how to identify and how to treat concussions? Um, so there's been a pretty significant shift in thinking as far as what we should be doing to help our athletes recover after concussion. So for quite a few years, about a decade or so, we were actually telling athletes that they really should be doing nothing. 
um, a rest is best approach. And some have even called it cocoon therapy, where we took away all activity. We took away looking at computer screens, reading. Um, and the idea there was to rest the brain, similarly to how you would rest a sprained ankle. But recently, uh, there's been a lot of research that has really shown that some level of activity is beneficial for the healing brain. And so we can also look at that in, in comparison to what we now do for those sprained ankles. Um, if you're old like me, you remember a time when we used to actually put a cast on a sprained ankle because we felt like it should rest. But now we have very early recovery interventions where we start rehabilitation very early. And we're starting to see that more and more in the area of concussion. And so our research is really centered around um, using aerobic exercise as an early intervention for somebody who has suffered a concussion. And the evidence is really showing that there's a benefit to that. And those patients are getting better a little bit sooner than if they don't do anything at all. So now when you're talking exercise, I don't think you're talking homework. Well, that is another aspect of it. Um, there's a whole area of, of recovery known as return to learn. Ah. And so um, we do have a, a, a whole return to learn program as well that is evidence-based. And that helps um, these athletes recover cognitively by doing some sort of cognitive function. And so there's the physical side of recovery, and then there's also the mental side of recovery. And so, um, yes, we want them to do some level of homework, both cognitively and physically. And so sometimes that homework, the physical homework, is a low level of exercise. Well, it certainly sounds like, you know, years ago when we used to tell people with back pain, just lay in bed, don't move. Yep. And we discovered, you know, that was the worst thing we could tell them because their back muscles were going in the spasm and they were atrophying and all these things were occurring. And it wasn't really helping the person to recover. It sounds like we've applied the same principles to people who have a concussion because it really is get back to gentle activity and start doing some level of thought processes or cognitive functioning. Because if you do nothing then granted, you may not see significant atrophy of the brain and your learning skills, but it's not helping you to participate in that active recovery that will get you back to your baseline sooner. Exactly. And I think that we're learning that the key here is some level. And we really don't know exactly what that level is and really when we should start it following the injury. And so that's another piece of the puzzle that our research is hoping to address. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what is a concussion? How do you get it? What do you do immediately afterwards? And some of the latest about the research on how we're tr improving the way that we address these events to get people back to a level of functioning as soon as possible. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio, and we're talking about concussions today. And right before the break, we were talking with Emily Kozdurka. She's the assistant professor at Concordia University, and she's spearheading a research protocol to look at earlier activity, both physical and cognitive, to try and return people back to a level of functioning after they have a concussion. Now, 
Recently, the CDC's report in their MMWR, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, took a look at the 2017 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, and they found that we are missing a lot of concussions. We're missing them because individuals who experience these may not bring it to the attention of their high school athletic trainer. They may not present to the emergency room. So these medically untreated concussions often are not counted in the total concussion category. And the CDC's review of this behavior survey suggested about 15.1% of all students, that's about 2.5 million throughout the U.S., reported having at least one of these concussions during the previous 12 months, and about 6% reported having even more than one. Male students were at greater risk than women, and those who played on more than one sports team were greater likelihood to have experienced this. Now, the key is, and Ross, you mentioned it when I first discussed the study, you said that doesn't even include middle school. So are we seeing these events in the middle school population as well? Oh, yeah, they're happening in the middle school, and we have no athletic trainers in Hawaii middle schools, so we're missing a lot of those concussions because, like you say, not a lot of them go to the emergency room. A lot of, not a lot of them go to their pediatrician to report their concussions because a lot of them don't even know that they have a concussion. Now, speaking about presenting to somebody who has a concussion, we also have Dr. Rachel Cole on the line, and she is at Queen's Sports Medicine Department, and she sees some of these students who come in and report that they've had an event. Rachel, thanks for joining us today. Tell me a little bit about what you see in your medical practice that might help to differentiate folks who, you know, parents who come in because their, their child had a problem and they're afraid of concussion, and when the symptoms are severe enough that they really need to be extra careful. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for being um, on. Well, thank you. I would say that um, one of the most interesting things is, um, you know, how challenging it is actually to identify a concussion. For those people who aren't experiencing a concussion, it can be um, confusing because a lot of the symptoms of concussion can seem very much like things that might happen in our daily life. In other words, headache or fatigue or even a little bit of noise sensitivity, that might be normal for some people on any given day if they haven't gotten enough rest or they're under some stress, um, you know, if they have exams coming up. So a lot of times the patients we see that are presenting a little bit later, they'll say they didn't realize they had a concussion because they thought, you know, their symptoms were explainable by some other cause. Um, so we always try to get the word out that if you can you know, tie these symptoms to perhaps a head injury or a moment of time where you might have fallen or been, been struck either in the head or the body, um, and you're having these symptoms, it's at the very least worth getting a checkup from your doctor or for, uh, from those of us who specialize in concussion care because it could be a concussion. It certainly doesn't mean that every blow to the head is a concussion, um, and, and it certainly doesn't mean that every time you have a headache or any time you're dizzy, it's a concussion. Uh, but again, rather than missing that opportunity to get cared for in a proper way, uh, it's worth seeing your doctor. Well, let's talk a little bit about early identification in the field, identification in the physician's office, and then long-term sequelae. So, Ross, you would be, you're an athletic trainer. You would be on the field, and you would be there when the students are playing. What would you identify, or let's review your classic findings of a concussion, and then when would you suggest, or we'll talk with Dr. Rachel about what she would see in her practice. So let's say that you're there, it's Friday night, there's a game, and there's something that happens in front of you, and you 
get called to the field to assess someone who hasn't lost consciousness but did fall down. What would be your assessment to say trouble or no trouble? Um, There's some cognitive questions that would ask them. So can they remember the months of the year? Can they recall five words? Can they recall numbers? Uh, can they repeat numbers backwards? Um, so those kind of questions. Uh, we looked at their, their eyes. We would do a VOMS exam, which is called a vestibular ocular motor screening, um, see how their eyes are reacting, how it's tracking. Uh, we also look at their balance, uh, have them stand on two legs, one leg, a tandem stance, and see how they do. Um, if they have no symptoms recurring with any of these activities, then we'll do some exertion, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, squats, and then running to see how they do. Again, checking their symptoms. Um, and then if we have symptoms, we would pull them out of the game and then uh, send them to the physician. But the other piece of the puzzle is that officials now, uh, if they notice a, an athlete, they, they will uh, stop play and have the athlete trainer evaluate the kid as well. So even if you don't catch it, someone else who's an official of the game will identify, hey, there's an issue and bring you up to speed on what they might have seen. Correct. What would be trigger signs for you that would suggest, hey, stay out of the game, check in to see your doctor in the next couple of days? Um, symptoms like the headache, dizziness, and I'll, I'll, I'll correlate the dizziness with the, some of the balance activities um, and, and then the recall uh, cognitively, what can they recall? Are they able to recall these numbers or names? And if they can't, then, hey, there's trouble. Yeah. And then they'd present to someone like you, Dr. Rachel, and so you would do an evaluation and assessment. What things might you notice that would make you more concerned that a concussion had occurred and maybe that it was sort of a, a more significant one? Well, one of the things that I have a benefit of is, is often that what we call that tincture of time where we've had time pass between the time that someone like Ross has identified perhaps an injury and the time that they present in our office. So a couple of days may have gone by, so I have that ability to question them about their history. What have they been feeling over the last couple of days? What are bringing on their symptoms? Is it exertion? Is it sitting in class? You know, is it moving their head a certain direction? What new symptoms may have developed since the time they were evaluated on the field? Sometimes Kids and adults who have concussions, they won't feel their all of their symptoms until later, that over the next 24 hours from the time of injury, they may develop more symptoms. So one thing that, you know, I have that advantage, again, is that passing of time. And then in the clinic, we will repeat some of the things that an athletic trainer might have done on the sidelines, such as the balance or the vision testing, the, the VOMS test that Ross is referring to, where we look at their eyes and what symptoms are triggered. And from there, we can then tailor proper interventions because we may see certain things on their exam, um, that they may get headaches, for example, or dizziness, or maybe even nausea with some of the testing that we do. That will be a tip-off to us that this truly indeed is a concussion. Uh, lastly, there are times where I do these things um, and taking you know, into account their history, it may be that there is something else going on medically um, maybe perhaps this is just their first onset of migraines or um, there is some other health problem. So sometimes it's also helpful for them that they're here because it may not be the injury, um, um, but instead it may be, um, you know, something other than concussion happening that they still need medical care for, but they perhaps need a different type of treatment. 
Well, that's a really good point because, you know, the first idea is you may not have symptoms immediately. You might go home after the game and who knew, but 24 hours later, you start to exhibit some signs and causes for concern. But then in addition, it could be something else that if you present to your medical professional and they say, hey, we don't know, let's send you to an expert. And Dr. Rachel, you would be one of those experts. Then they may wind up having some other new onset migraine, like you said, or undiagnosed some other problem that, you know, neck strain or something that would make them concerned. But in fact, it could have another etiology. So that's a, another good reason why people should definitely get checked out. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we are going to talk with our guest today about what are the next steps. So if you get identified of having this problem, what should you do? What's some of the research telling you to do? And how can folks learn more? We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Wealth Jar, Hawaii Pacific University, and Locations. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we're talking today with quite a few guests. We have Ross Oshiro. You're an athletic trainer in Queen's Sports Medicine Department. Dr. Rachel Cole, you're also running the sports medicine department over there and helping people to identify concussions in addition to a variety of other things that they might get diagnosed with. And we also have Emily Kozderka on the line, and she's the assistant professor of exercise and sports science at Concordia University. And we were just talking about how Ross might initially identify someone who has a problem on the field. Dr. Cole, they may be referred to you for some further diagnostic testing and to figure out if they do have this concussion. And in some cases, you know, you might even put them on and make them exercise, see if there's symptoms in their balance or something that, you know, they seem to have impairment with that we might not identify if they just walk into the office and you kind of have to do some extra testing. Now, when you see folks who have had significant issues, Dr. Rachel, would you ever suggest, we were talking with Emily earlier about some of the research being done on this kind of active treatment, which is getting people back to some level of functioning so that they can participate in some exercise activity and maybe even some cognitive things. So this is kind of the latest in the research in concussion management. When you see folks, Dr. Rachel, do you often suggest they sort of get back to, I mean, these are athletes, these are young kids, get back to some level of activity, doing something that maybe is non trauma-based that could be more related to like a non-impact activity? Absolutely. It's ab absolutely become a cornerstone of our concussion therapy. And you pointed out a very good point, which is that this is non-contact type exertion. In other words, you know, I'm not going to send them back out onto the football field or the soccer field to, um, you know, collide with other players or to slip and fall. Um, but I certainly will start light and then work them as they can progress, meaning as long as they're not getting a worsening of symptoms, I'm going to actually start them on some type of walking program. If that starts to feel good, I'll allow them to jog. If that feels good, we'll increase that to maybe more sports-specific things. A soccer player may, you know, shoot on an empty goal or juggle the ball, um, you know, whereas a football player maybe will run a few routes and catch some balls. Um, again, non-contact, nothing that's going to hit their head or cause them to fall and hit their head. But I have found that this population especially, I think all people benefit from exercises you and Emily pointed out earlier, but 
I also think in general, athletes are used to moving. This is a part of their identity that's part of their daily lifestyle. And to take that away from them actually tends to make their symptoms worse. And one of the things we were finding was that patients were actually becoming you know, depressed, um, becoming down and blue because they weren't socializing, they weren't attending school, they weren't stimulating their brains, and they weren't stimulating their body with exercise. And so getting them moving has certainly shown us that we've watched our patients get well faster, they feel better sooner emotionally and physically. So we've really made this, like I said, the cornerstone of our treatment plan. Now, Emily, tell me, the research that you've done, what sort of findings are you are you expecting to see as you continue some of this? Because it would make perfect sense to me that if you're used to being active all the time, you're used to the camaraderie of your team and your friends, if you take that away, that could potentially affect you psychologically in addition to delaying the recovery process. Where is the research heading in concussion management now? Um, I think that the research is really heading in a direction where we're trying to answer questions about what type of activity is best for the healing brain and when that activity should be started. So some of the earlier research in this area, which was about eight, 10 years ago, started looking at early activity in patients that had been symptomatic for quite some time. Um, so those, those athletes that had had symptoms for, for a month or more. And they were really starting to look at some of the things that you're hearing Dr. Cole talk about. And um, as athletic trainers, we've seen clinically, which is taking away physical activity from athletes and watching them suffer what is probably psychological and mental health um, ramifications as a result. And so, um, you know, with these early studies that started looking at using physical activity, they were predominantly in patients who had been symptomatic for quite a while. And over the last decade, they've started to creep that timeline closer and closer to when the injury actually happened. And so now the research is really starting to look at what what type of activity could we start in a pretty short amount of time, even within a week from when the injury happened, um, and in some cases within days of when the injury happened. So that's really what where we're at now, and that's that's the cutting edge of this type of research. Um, and what's exciting about the program that's there in Hawaii is that Queens Medical Center has really been on the forefront of this. And, um, and so we're hoping to shed some more light on that for the science, but more importantly, for the athletes that we serve. Well, and that's certainly a goal that everybody could definitely benefit from, not just the athletes themselves, but also everyone in the medical community, the athletic trainers, and also the parents and the families of these folks. Now, you mentioned that Queens is spearheading this, and Ross, I want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit. There's there's an exciting event that's coming up this coming weekend, and so that's going to be really looking at getting a bunch of experts to come together to Hawaii and talk a little bit about what the latest in the research is. There's going to be some element where the public can hear about some activities maybe the day before the conference starts, and then there's going to be some other events on the 13th and 14th of July. Yeah, we have, uh, we're calling it Concussion Week. Uh, we have a whole, uh, f- uh, almost a whole week of activities going on. Starting with um, July 11th, we have uh, Karen McAvoy, one of our speakers at our Concussion Summit. She's doing the Return to Learn portion at St. Louis School on, on, on the 11th and 12th from 8 to 12th. Um, and then we have a free clinic for parents, coaches, athletes, 
on the Thursday, the 12th, at McKinley High School. It's a free event, and it's open to the public. And then on Friday and Saturday, we have our concussion summit at the uh, University of Hawaii uh, campus ballroom. And we have several several speakers coming in. One of our, our keynote speakers, uh, Paul McCory, he's the uh, primary author of the concussions consensus statement, um, which are, is a group of physicians that came together internationally that developed the concussion consensus statements that we follow. A lot of exciting information. If people wanted to hear more, they could go to the website? Yeah, they can go to Hawaii Concussion, uh, HawaiiConcussion dot dot uh, dot org and they can pull up the registrations from there all right well i want to thank everybody for being a guest here on the show thank you ross oshiro athletic trainer at queen sports medicine dr rachel cole also a physician at queen sports medicine and emily kozderka the assistant professor at concordia university on the line uh, thanks for sharing your expertise with us if you'd like to hear more about this show you can certainly go to hawaiipublicradio.org Follow the links to this show and find some more. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show.